All right. Well, I echo Katrina's words. It's so good to be here this morning and to see all of you. And for those of you that are visiting, we love that you are here. And um, God is, I, I just raise a hallelujah this morning because it's, it, it is a beautiful day to uh, worship him. And we just want to give him all the praise and the glory. You know, last week, uh, these, these truly are exciting times. And last week when Chad mentioned about the Asbury revival, I had to think how fitting that we as a congregation here at East Petersburg are studying the book of Acts, that uh, we're going to see it walked out, see it lived out. And um, I believe that God is, yeah, is truly moving. I wanted to give just a little quick recap of... Um, where we have been in the book of Acts. If you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, Chad started with um, chapters... Let me get this here, straighten out here. Uh, Chapter 1, where we see the disciples of Jesus waiting in one accord for the Holy Spirit and the the promise that that Jesus said would, would come. And the lesson that week was that we uh, need the Holy Spirit. And then uh, later in, the, in that chapter, you see the process of them choosing another disciple for, to replace Judas. And the whole learning process to listen and to hear God speak. But the beautiful thing is that God still speaks to us today. And then he moved into chapter 2 this past last week and up to, to verse uh, 41 and we see the outpouring of Pentecost, of, of the outpouring of the Spirit, I should say, on the day of Pentecost. And if you did not get to listen to that sermon, I highly recommend it. It was so good just to see uh, the comparison of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And that on, in um, the Old Covenant, at the, the base of Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died. But on the day of Pentecost, Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. And so it's so beautiful to see. So I highly recommend that you take time to, and, and the lesson for that week was when God moves, things change. And so this week, we're going to be uh, moving forward in chapter two. So if you can turn in your Bibles, or I will have it on the screen. <clears throat> Let's see if we can make this happen here. We're going to be reading from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. Starting at verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods among them all as, a, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, when you read that, it sounds like this perfect, unified 
body of Christ. And let me just give you a little bit of a background of what it would have looked like there in Jerusalem. Um, as Chad had said, this, the people had come. There was probably 900, up to 900,000 people there in Jerusalem that would have come from surrounding regions and beyond for uh, the Feast of the Harvest, which is the Feast of uh, the Pentecost. And um, these people would have, that were added to the church, the 3,000, like all of a sudden you have 120 people that are part of the body of Christ, and then all of a sudden it just balloons to 3,000 people. And, um, and so I can't imagine how the, the disciples were feeling and just the chaos that it could have created. And oh, now we have to find housing and food and, and for all these people that just wanted to stay because of the move of the Spirit. And so the only way that I can read this and say, like, it looks like such unity and such peace is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so these verses give us a foundation of what the Christian life looks like when filled with the Spirit. So let's break it down. Whoops. Can you take that back, please? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not real good with this thing. Um, (laughs) So verse 42, beginning in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. The words continued steadfastly are actually used six times throughout the book of Acts. And the Greek word meaning to adhere or to devote to, the idea of to pay persistent attention to something. So what were they so persistent about? And this verse lists four key disciplines that we as believers can use in building a foundation for a Christian life. So let's, let's just look at um, each of these this foundation for a Christian life, the first one being the apostles' doctrine. So they wouldn't, the, this new body of believers would not have had a New Testament Bible like we have. Um, but so they were hungry to hear what the disciples had learned from Jesus and what they had, had studied with him as a rabbi. And um, they were just eager to hear and to stay planted in the word. And in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, And then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to believe, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so basically, the disciples were just walking it out. They were doing what Jesus had told them to do. The second discipline is fellowship. And fellowship is the Greek word, the Greek word for fellowship, I'm sorry, is koinonia. And there's actually no English word for that word koinonia. Um, In fact, that word koinonia is used in Romans as the word for contribution. And in 2 Corinthians, it is the word for communion and also the word for distribution. So I think you get the picture. 
It's a deep sense of spiritual unity, a sharing with one another. For us as a church here, as a church family, it might look like the following. We share the same love for God. We share the same desire for, of worship to worship him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. And we share the same joy of communicating the gospel. The third one is the breaking of bread. This would have not just been the Lord's Supper, but also sharing in meals together. It was covenant-making. And there's this Greek story that talks about how two warriors were getting ready to go out to war against each other, to fight each other. And all of a sudden, they discovered that their fathers had... Uh, the one... <coughs> excuse me. The one father had hosted the other father at a banquet. And therefore... They, had, they were sharing a covenant together. And so all of a sudden, these two warriors were like, that means that we share a covenant together. And so that's why the Pharisees, like eating together, for them, eating together meant sharing covenant. And that's why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus for eating with sinners to bring them into the fold. So here the believers are eating together. It's a sign of covenant fellowship, unity among them. And the fourth slide is prayer. I think in, a, in the Christian faith today, we are quick to demonstrate our faith through Christian service. I wonder how much would be accomplished through prayer. In Matthew 12, 29, it says, Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. Service is going in and taking the spoils when victory has already been conquered through prayer. So don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to give service a bad name or anything. I know I look out among you and so many of you have hearts of service. I personally love to serve. But I would also just like to encourage you that, um, like, what would it look like if we really truly grasp the power of prayer and truly believe that it can move mountains and that it can do even more than what we even thought or could expect and I also would like to encourage you to, that if you have a window of time during our prayer gatherings that we have here at church, right now we are meeting on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock. It kind of, we keep asking the Lord, when would you like us to meet from month to month? So it's not always consist, going to be consistently at 10 o'clock. But if, if you have a window of time that you can come during that time, I highly recommend it. And maybe some of you are feeling intimidated and feel like, you know what, I don't, I don't do well in groups praying. Like, I don't pray out loud and that kind of thing. No, it's not about that at all. Some people come and they don't pray and it doesn't matter. You're there to experience Jesus. You know, Jesus said when two or more, why did he say two or more? He didn't just say going. I mean, there is scripture where it talks about going into your closet and that kind of thing. But all throughout scripture, it talks about the whole idea of corporate prayer and the power of two or more. 
And so I just want to encourage you to come and join us. It's a powerful time, and we truly see God move. Now, moving ahead to verse 43. Whoops. Can you go back again? No. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, some of your Bibles might say the all, all came upon every soul. And I would like to just spend a little bit of time about talking about the fear of the Lord. I loved, I loved studying about this because I'll be honest with you, it was an area that I it kind of almost felt like it was an old-fashioned term, and I remember it like years ago, but I never understood it because like the word fear can take on, just like Katrina said this morning, can take on two different meanings. But the fear that God is talking about here is the, that we're talking about is the fear of the Lord. And as I was preparing for this, out of the blue, a friend sent me a conversation with John Bevere in reference to his new book, The All of God, and the need for the body of Christ to have and to understand the fear of God. And John was asked to come, John Bevere was asked to come and visit a well-known TV evangelist in the 90s who was put into prison for mail fraud. And when John sat down with him in prison, the first thing he told John was that prison wasn't God's judgment to me. It was his mercy he said, if John, he said, John, if I, wouldn't have if I would have continued down the path of life I was going, I would have ended up in hell. There in prison that first year, Jesus met him and delivered him, and he became involved in the, in the ministry there in the, in the prison. And so then John asked him, he said, when was it that you fell out of love with Jesus? And he looked at John and he said, I never stopped loving him. I loved him all through it. And in bewilderment, John said to him, you committed adultery in 1983, and you got arrested in 1990. There are seven years that you aren't walking with God. What do you mean you never fell out of love with, with him? <coughs> Excuse me. And he looked at John and he said, I loved him all the time. I just didn't fear him. And he told John, there are millions of Americans who are like me, who love Jesus, but they do not fear God. And when I, when I heard that, I, was, I, I, I truly was like, what does this fear of God truly mean? Because I want, I want that. Isaiah Thirty-three six says, Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. And when you think of a treasure, what do you do with it? You protect it. You guard it. You keep it. So let's look at this, this a little bit more. If you look at the life of Solomon... He was raised in the fear of the Lord. He became an amazing leader. The Jews were extremely blessed under his leadership. Everyone 
When he was leader, everyone had their own home. They had their own garden. Like, no one rented. And, but in time, Solomon lost, did not treasure. He did not treasure the fear of the Lord. And as a result, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, where he says, What goes around comes around. What is lost can never be recovered. The day you die is better than the day you were born. Written by a man who had become bitter and cynical because he lost the fear of God. The good news is we see that Solomon's deliverance at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And the second to last verse, he says, Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And in Psalms 112, it begins, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. So again, what is the fear of God? In the love chapter, it says, Love is patient and kind. What if we would limit love to just, to, to just that, to just patient and kind? Well, a child molester is, is patient and kind with a young child while destroying his life. And the same with the fear of the Lord. It's not just reverence towards God. It means to be so in all of him, to love what he loves, and to hate what he hates. And how do we learn that? It's becoming intimate with him. We take on his heart. It's not to be scared of God. We can't be intimate with someone we're afraid of. What does Adam do when he sins? He hides from God. The person who fears God has something to hide. But the person who has a healthy fear of God is terrified of being away from God. In 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul wrote, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice it doesn't say perfecting holiness with love and kindness. It says in the fear of God. Having a healthy fear of God will give us longevity in our faith journey. So desire it. Desire an authentic awe of God. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, now looking ahead to verse 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. The second part of that verse explains what it means to have all things in common. It was a form of financial fellowship. In fact, the Greek word for in common is koinos, which is the root word for koinonia, the word for fellowship. And so you see here that there was a need. People would reach out and fulfill that need however they could. They valued people above their own possessions. 
And so much of our, acts, our assets are sitting there for what? Whatever it be, things or actual monetary. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew when he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The early church gave us this beautiful example of what it means to use our resources for the kingdom, investing in things that matter to God. When I think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I know I've gone to different gatherings where I've truly saw the outpouring, and sometimes it can be somewhat self-centered in how we talk about it and what we experience and how we experienced it. But for the outpouring here in Acts, in this community of believers, it was about fellowship and the love that they had for one another. It was about telling the good news. In verse 46 and 47, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Again, we have this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. It was a daily routine, a lifestyle, and the breaking of bread from house to house was sharing a meal. And they, were very, and they very well could have shared communion together in addition. Eating a meal together was perhaps the most intimate form of fellowship one could, ha- one could have as fellow believers. And I love these words and the picture it paints from Luke 12, 36 and 37. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, that they may be open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And the fruit of the Spirit is filled in our church life, and the Lord added to the church daily all those who were, be, were being saved. So as we look to the lesson of the week, Holy Spirit outpouring plus surrender equals radical living. And I call it radical living because... <clears throat> It truly is a different rhythm than what the world beats to. But honestly, is it that hard? You know, when you looked at those four rhythms that the early church did, I feel like many of us or many of you are doing that. And so it's not that hard. It's just doing it on a daily basis with a passion within your spirit to, to truly desire to do it. Last week, my mother-in-law brought me a clipping from the newspaper. We don't get the newspaper. And I thought, wow, we are doing it here at East Petersburg. And it was a picture of Tim and Dottie. I don't know if you got to see it or not. But, um, you know, it was titled, Serve with Love. And it was an article about what they do on Valentine's Day where they invite all of these uh, women 
for a um, single women, uh, widowed women, and uh, invite them for a meal. And so I just want to encourage all of you. I feel like it's such a beautiful example of fellowship and truly uh, this intimate um, picture of around a table. And I'm sure for all of you that experienced it, you felt just that. So I challenge each of you to begin to practice on a daily basis the four disciplines of the early church. Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Like I said in the very beginning, only by the power of the Spirit can we walk this out. Can we become changed, transformed in a way that we truly love what we're doing and it's not something that we just do out of duty, but it's the work of the Spirit within us. God is opening up a well of salvation for all who will drink. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you and bless you and praise you for you are Lord of all. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that you move in us, for the way that you're, you instruct us, you guide us, you convict us. We seek more of you, Father, to be intimate with you, to be so close to you that we hear your heartbeat. Give us the courage to walk it out. Give us the strength. I pray for each one here, Father. I pray your spirit to come alive in them. And help us not to rush ahead. Help us to continue to wait, to listen and then to respond. Father, I thank you for the example that all th throughout the New Testament, it's been shown that the Christian walk is like an athlete. We have to discipline, prepare, and run the race. And when the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Thank you so much. We love you in your precious name. Amen.